Sarah Spreming, and this is Cop Dog Radio, a place where I will share my stories, cases, and considerations when it comes to all things dog sports and dog training. I hope you enjoy it. Synergy the Whippet Part 2 today. This is my case study about a worked up race bred Whippet named Synergy. And if you haven't listened to episode one on her, I really recommend that you go back and do that just so that everything here will make sense to you and you've got some good background on her. So to get started, we're going to talk about Synergy's start line stay and how we repaired it. It was a really typical start line stay for a lot of people. It started out relatively strong with maybe some random breaking in there. Um, it was never, you know, super reliable and it just got twitchier and twitchier until it wasn't something that Carrie felt like she could use at all. So the first thing we did was we went back to basics. And in my mind, there are kind of two kinds of stays. There are probably way more than two, but let's narrow it down and talk about two. So one is for the dog to just hold still. So for the dog to understand that stillness pays is kind of the first concept that I want the dog to understand. And this is a concept that shockingly few agility dogs are taught. And again, this all comes back to the agility person's deepest fear, which is always a slow dog. Everybody is terrified of having a slow dog. And so everything we do is in the interest of making them fast. And we forget that there are a lot of skills that help them be fast that have nothing to do with speed and everything to do with self-control and stillness. Teaching the dog that holding still sometimes is what pays out is a vital thing to teach. When I teach worked up uh, seminars, I find that most of the participants, dogs, have no idea how to offer stillness for for, um, reinforcement. And it is actually a core piece of my foundation agility training now is teaching the dog multiple behaviors that involve stillness as their path to reinforcement. So that's the first thing that we did. We just taught her that, holding a position could pay off for her. And then the other kind of stay is a wait for it stay. So it's a, the dog knows what they're waiting for. And because of a heavy reinforcement history of waiting, they do wait. So that's the stay that occurs when there's a food bowl in front of them, when there's a toy in front of them, or when there's a line of jumps in front of them. And they have to be taught that the way to get that reinforcement that they see in front of them is to wait for it. These are casually kind of referred to as impulse control stays in the agility world. I'm not a huge fan of that phrase, um, impulse control in general. And we can talk about that in a later episode. But what I wanted to drive home for Sin was that the way to get the stuff was to wait for it. And she couldn't do that until she knew that holding still paid off. So we really went back to basics, um, worked on high rates of reinforcement for holding still, and then high rates of reinforcement for waiting. I think the way that most people teach waiting is actually a negative reinforcement procedure, meaning that um, the dog is finally allowed to get the thing when they hold still. And what happens in the meantime is that the person 
continues to take away the thing. And I think that this is often looked at a little bit differently than that. I think people assume it falls under a different quadrant. And of course it does because no quadrant ever stands alone. But for me, um, I'm not nuts about you show the dog the enticing thing, the dog moves and then you take it away and then you show it again and they move and then you take it away. So that's kind of the normal, um, well understood way to teach these kinds of things um, in our sport. We taught it instead by never asking her for more than she was fully capable of giving. And that started with that foundation of holding still. So that high rate of reinforcement for being still then ask for stillness, produce a reinforcer, and release her to it immediately. And that leads me to something else we had to work on, which was we had to train the snot out of our release cue. We had to have Sin be very clear on what her release cue was, and we had to have Carrie be really clear on what her release cue um, is. And I think this is something that people don't understand a lot of the time. Understand that release cues, if they are a release to something are behavioral markers. So it's essentially like saying yes, and the dog takes advantage of a cookie, you say break or okay, and the dog takes advantage of the obstacles in front of them. Um, it is marking behavior. So you've got to be sure that you are marking the stay with the release cue. Very, very often people are marking beginnings of motion. The dog is leaning forward, their butt is hovering up off the ground and then they release. And that behavior is effectively marked and reinforced. Um, so we trained the release cue to mean move, to mean take advantage of the reinforcer or the obstacle, and um, got really, really clear on it. And had Carrie get really clear on it and really examine everything that she was doing to make sure that she wasn't giving any inadvertent cues or um, any accidental cues. Because... There's this thing called the cue transfer that occurs. Um, cue transfer goes like this. If you have an old cue established, so let's say your dog sits on the verbal cue sit, and you would like to teach the dog to sit on a hand signal, so you'd like to do a cue transfer. You're going to present the new cue, so you're going to do your, your hand signal, and then you're gonna present the old cue right after, then you're gonna give your verbal sit, and then you're gonna pay the dog. And what happens is before long, the dog predicts that the sit, the verbal sit cue is coming and they sit on that hand signal and a cue transfer has occurred. This is part of kind of the science of learning. This is not something that we teach them to understand, it's something they inherently do. And so then we put them on the start line and it looks like this. We go, okay, I gotta have a routine. I gotta do this the same every time. So they leave the dog on the line. They lead out. They look back at the dog. They raise their arm and they say, okay. Um, or maybe they start running and then say, okay. Whatever the chain of events is, a cue transfer will occur if it is the same every time. So then what happens is you walk out, you look back, you raise your arm and the dog breaks. Not because they're being bad, not because they are you know, deliberately breaking early or breaking the rules, but because a cue transfer has occurred because a cue transfer will occur whether you're trying to make it occur or not. And then before long, it's not the arm raise, it's the look back. 
and then it's just the walking out. And so whatever your routine is, a Q transfer may occur. And that has cer- that certainly happened with Synergy. It was right about, you know, if Carrie hits jump two, Sin would move. Because she pretty much never let out much further than that because she didn't trust her to stay. And so Sin would move. So Q transfers will bite you in the butt on start line stay training. And so you've got to stay on top of it, which is why I highly recommend number one, do not mix up your release cue. Do not mix up your start line routine, but do mix up what you do with your body as you lead out and make sure you reinforce the dog intermittently for that stay um, with a smart reinforcement strategy, which we're going to talk about in a bit. But Also, be sure that you can lead out and you can look back and you can give the dog a different cue. That the dog is capable of performing other cues other than that release cue. You should be able to look back at them and say lie down and have the dog hit the deck. And then say stand and have the dog stand up. And then maybe you release the dog. Um, This has been, you know, advice I've given a lot of people for start lines. And... Again, if you do it in the same order every time, guess what's going to happen? Cue transfer. If you lead out, you look back and you say lie down and then you say break. Lie down very quickly will lead to break. So keep that in mind. This is not the dog jumping the gun or being naughty. I can't stand it when people say, oh, he's being bad. He knows he's supposed to wait till I say okay. Listen, you guys, dogs don't operate like that. They just don't. They're operating as all behavior, as all organisms are operating, which is to just obtain reinforcement as quickly as possible. And that is why the Q transfer occurs. So the other thing we had to do was for Carrie in particular, um, we had to bridge the gap between trials and training because we got Sin to the point that she would stay brilliantly and Carrie could lead out across her 100 foot arena And Sin wouldn't move, but she still wouldn't let Carrie get past jump one in a trial. And I think that there are probably people listening who are cheering and they're really excited about what I'm about to say next because they're probably experiencing the same thing. And this has to do with a lot of stuff, but for Carrie, and we're going to talk about functional reinforcement because it definitely has to do with that too. But for Carrie, a lot of it was that she was actually feeling nervous in the trial, nervous that Sin would break, not necessarily nervous about the course, although that would sometimes play in, but not, but nervous that Sin would break. And then she'd um, not know what to do or know what she had to do and not like it or whatever. But um, so we had to make her have the same kind of nervousness because nervousness changes your behavior. And so while we couldn't necessarily pinpoint a difference in action that she was doing. She was different when she was walking out tentatively and nervously. You know, she's looking over her shoulder. She's checking to make sure the sin is there the whole time. Um, in the trial and in the in training, she can confidently walk out, look back, make sure the dog is staying, and then release. So we found this app. It's called Random Timer. And this really um, fixed this problem for us. And I said, okay, you're going to run this app. You're going to put it in your pocket. And what it does is it beeps at a random interval. So she'd lead out, it would beep, and then she'd release in. And I said, whenever it beeps, you release her and it doesn't matter where you are. So sometimes it would beep 
you know, right away. And sometimes it would be six jumps out. And so that produced the same kind of nervousness because Carrie was anticipating this beep and not knowing how far she had to walk. And it was genius. I really recommend, I even think it was free. Just get it, put it on your phone, use it. Um, it will do great things for you. It will, it also um, has helped, you know, with my signal exercises for utility. So I'll tell them, I'll leave my dog in a standstill and I will walk until it beeps. And when it beeps, I will turn around and give the down signal. And that produces, um, for me, a randomness with how far away I go from her, which is healthy for our training. And I think there's just a million and one applications for dog training. So the app is Random Timer. And then I had Carrie actually do stays less often in trials. We trained a slingshot start on purpose. So a lot of you, you know, are trying to not do stays, but you still line up the way you would if you were going to do a sit stay. So I said, here's the difference. I need you to have two start line routines. One is you're going to leave the dog in a stay and the other is you're not. And they, they got to look different. And so we trained, deliberately trained a slingshot start. And there are very few courses that Carrie cannot run um, with the slingshot start. And so she actually asks Sin to stay less. And that's been great for both of them. Um, because I think it's clear to a lot of us, I think a lot of people argue that the dog can like the start line stay as much as they can like running. And I just think that that is bananas. Um, but they're not going to like waiting for the thing, for the fun thing, more than they like the actual fun thing. Um, that's not real. So <laughs> to me, okay, so make them do the thing they don't like a little bit less and draw a very clean line between a running start and a staying start. And that really did um, act to drive home for sin the difference between and now we're running and now you're staying and this is what the two look like. And then that functional reinforcement piece, a lot of people want to reinforce start lane stays by walking back and giving the dog a cookie. And that is rarely effective for carryover to trials um, or walking back and giving the dog a toy even rarely effective for carryover to trials um, because it's not as functional. It's not sustainable. It doesn't look like the trial at all. Um, if you release ahead. So if you just release the dog out of the stay to the course, you are releasing, you are reinforcing the stay. That is true. Um, you will lose some, I think, uh, mass or value for the actual sitting portion itself by doing that because the reinforcer is clear out ahead. So in the same way that you will get curling in front of your body on healing, if you reach across your body and give the dog a cookie to reinforce, um, you will get pushiness on your start line if you're always releasing straight ahead to reinforcers um, or to the course. So I want to pay the dog backwards. So I teach my dogs um, a marker signal that means spin back, the reward is behind you. I just, I use the cue look back. It means there's a toy behind you. And when I'm training, I try to leave a toy behind my dog and have a toy on my body. And I try to be really good about 50-50. I spin the dog backwards and, or, or release the dog ahead. And here's a really cool thing that happens. And this actually did happen to Synergy, I think at least once. You go in, you take your leash off, you put your leash behind your dog and you lead out. And then that odd time that there's a problem 
you know, somebody screams, oh, wait, there's a bar down or the tire's not set right or whatever. You say, look back. Doug spins back, grabs their leash. You go back and you have a really nice game of tug. How cool is that? How great is that to use actually in the ring? I mean, now this thing that used to be annoying because you got to start line stay and now you can't release your dog to the course. I mean, how punishing is that? Is a beautiful opportunity to reinforce. So teach the dog to spin backwards. If your dog doesn't play with toys, use food in the same way. It's not as sustainable to the ring, but it's definitely still a good reinforcer. And then as Carrie started to trial, we did a couple of things. So as she started to actually use her stay again in trials, I said, here's the rules. You've got to follow the same routine every time and you can only ask her for what you know she can handle. So... If she has not shown you that she can do a three jump lead out, don't do a three jump lead out. So we're basically um, building that stay approximation by approximation by saying, okay, last time I let out two jump one. So this time I'm going to lead out halfway past jump one. And then the next time I'm not going to even lead out to jump one. So I'm just going to volley back and forth and make sure my dog is successful. Because the other part, and this is probably going to surprise some people, is we put all this work into it. And I said, when she breaks, you are going to leave the course with her. That's a contingency that we showed her in training multiple times before she ever saw it in a trial. Um, if she broke the stay, we'd just say, oh, that's too... We would just... Actually, I t had Carrie turn to the judge and say, thank you, collect um, and that was the invisible judge in training. So she'd just turn around and say, thank you, collect Sin, put her in the van, play with one of her other dogs for a minute, get Sin back out, and give her another shot. When her stays were pretty much bomb-proof in practice, we put them to work in a trial with the same contingency. Um, I think she's probably only walked off twice. And that's really important. And I know that it's going to surprise people that I use that. Um, and that's totally okay. And if you never want to, that's also totally okay. Watch for a bonus episode on this. I'm going to talk about leaving the course a little bit more in depth um, uh, in a later episode. So that's what we did for her start line stays. Her contacts had a lot of the same, uh, her stopped contacts had a lot of the same stuff, which is why I like to start with the start line stay. We needed a two-on-two-off dog walk trained for Sin. Um, we shaped the position. We got the position nice and on cue. Again, that release cue, vital, really important. Um, and we actually were releasing her ahead to a toy the whole time. So no walking back and feeding her in a two-on-two-off on position. That, that's the same as walking back and giving the dog a cookie in their start line stay. It's not going to be effective. It's not going to be sustainable. In real life, you release your two-on-two-off ahead to equipment. So we released her ahead to toys. After the behavior was achieved, we achieved the behavior by reinforcing in position with food. Um, and then... We put it to work. So the same kind of stuff. I had Carrie sprint down a line and throw toys and just very systematically build up Sin's ability to hold that stay. 
um, that stay behavior in that two on, two off. Um, and then, and, and no hesitating was allowed. Carrie was not allowed to stop and pause and make sure she stayed and put body pressure on her because that's what everybody wants to do. And then we put it to work in, we put it to work in trials after we showed again, synergy, the walking off the course contingency in training. And it wasn't easy to get her to break, but we, we did get her to break. And then we just walked her off the course again for like a two minute break and then brought her back out and tried it again. And she was always successful when we brought her back out with the exact same challenge. Cause that's a really important thing. People bring the dog back out and then they make it easier. Don't do that. Bring the dog back out and do the exact same challenge. If the dog fails a second time, they can't do what you're asking them to do. And you need to build it up more systematically. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But with that two on, two off, we tested it with Carrie, you know, racing down a line with a tunnel, screaming right in Sin's face, um, throwing toys, running, dragging toys on the ground. We did all kinds of stuff. And then I said, you have got to act exactly the same in a trial as you do in training, because here's what was still happening in the trial. Carrie would slow down and hesitate to try to make Sin stop. And Sin would bounce off the contact and bite her. And the reason she's biting her is confusion. She's saying, excuse me, this is not what you look like in training. I don't even know what you're doing. I now have a lack of information and I'm going to take that frustration out on you. Obviously not in so many words, but so we did that. And we also, Carrie did leave the ring for that dog walk a couple of times. And I got to tell you, her dog walk is a thing of beauty. It is screaming fast. It is a beautiful stop. It is one of the best stop dog walks I have ever seen. It's fantastic. Um, we did work really hard on a running A-frame for her. We used a target mat um, with a Manners Minder reinforcer. That was a work in progress for a long time. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on running A-frames that are not complete yet, so I'm not going to go super in-depth on that. And still a little bit of a work in progress because we changed it is the teeter. Initially, Carrie was wanting to do a bang and go, so just a hit the board release. And again, we're still getting the biting on course from that. So we went ahead and changed it to a stopped four on. And we're, she's at work right now putting kind of the same contingencies to work as the dog walk with the teeter. So the teeter um, looks pretty good. And as long as Carrie continues to move down the line, continues to handle, um, the teeter doesn't come back to bite them literally or figuratively. Um, reinforcement strategies for all of these are really important. Reinforcing ahead on the line for the stopped contacts as well as the A-frame, really important. Weave poles are the most complex behavior chain that most of us will teach as amateur animal trainers, okay? And so there's no question why they give people so much trouble. They're complicated and they should be taken seriously. And I think a lot of times people rush them. You can typically get the base behavior really quickly true mastery of weave poles takes a long time and that's okay. Sin had some decent weave poles. Uh, we did go back and shape some entries 
with some two by twos and really work on her understanding of that. And then beyond that, it was really about staying in the poles. So staying in the poles with a reinforcer sitting out in front of her, staying in the poles with a reinforcer being run past her, um, adding motion while she was in the poles, one of the hardest things for her, again, if we go back to her breed and we go back to her natural inclination, which is chase down the rapidly retreating object, when you produce a rapidly retreating object, while the dog is supposed to be doing a very complex thinking task, you can understand why sometimes things fall apart in that moment. So teaching sin that is very important to stay in the weave poles is something we did. We have not walked sin off the course for missing weave poles. Uh, the reason I typically do not advocate for that is because there are so many moving parts with weave poles. It is a very complex behavior chain and you can never be sure why anything went wrong. And more often than not, you're just going to wreck confidence and they have to have confidence to be able to do uh, the weave poles correctly. So instead, if Sin missed her weave pulls, I would have Carrie do a reset with my start button behavior. So if you've taken Worked Up, you're familiar with start button behaviors. Um, if you can't, <laughs> it will be running an FDSA, Fenzie Dog Sports Academy, again this year. Or I'm, I'm sorry, again next year. It's running right now, but registration will be closed by the time this airs. So... Um, it runs all the time. I always post about it on the Cognitive Canine when it does run, and it will be coming to you in seminar form um, all throughout 2018. But if you have taken Worked Up, you know that the start button behavior is basically a dog, is basically a way for the dog to say, um, yes, I'm ready to try again, or yes, I'm ready to do this. And so I would have Carrie ask Sin for the start button behavior at the beginning of the weave. So they just walk back to the beginning. She'd ask for the start button. If Sin is capable of giving the start button, she would start again. And if Sin was not capable of giving the start button, they would leave. Now, that's not the same as leaving the course as a punishment contingency. Um, could it be perceived as punishing? Of course it could. Um, but punishment, like reinforcement, is defined by its function. So if behavior is not suppressed then punishment's not at play. And by the way, if you ever leave the course after a failed start button and a person comes up to you and says, why did you use punishment? You say to them, punishment's defined by its function and you smile and you keep walking and they'll be confused and it's perfect. Um, so she just ask Sin for her start button. If Sin gave her the button, she would release her to weave again. If she didn't, then they would leave and they would go and they would eat cookies and go for a walk and have a party. It wouldn't be about, you know, you naughty dog, you can't do this. It would be about, um, can you do it? Show me that you're able to do it, right? And if you show me that you're not able to, then you're certainly not able to continue down this course. And in AKC, which is Carrie's primary venue, you've got three shots at the poles. So she'd do one set. If she failed again, she'd try it again. Um, I never had her ask her more than twice, though, which in your lower levels when you can kind of still cue on that might hurt. But I said, there's no use in asking her a third time. Ask her for the start button twice. Ask her for the weave pulls twice. If she fails the weave pulls twice, she is telling you something about her understanding of the weave pulls. And she's telling you that her understanding is not good enough for what you're asking. And that's information for you to just take home and leave with um, and go home and work on it. And we did spend some time just ignoring errors in the polls, ignoring them on course and then going home and trying to recreate the problem um, to work through the problem, which is a much smarter way of going about 
any of your training problems in agility than any kind of response that you can give in the ring because training happens in training. It does not happen in the ring, you guys. Um, everybody always wants to know from me, well, what do I do if? And the scenario that they're painting for me is always in the ring. And the answer is you just survive. The ring, you have no options. You have no reinforcers on you. Um, you can't sit down in the dirt and ask your dog to lay down with you for a minute and take a breather. You can't, you can't do any of that stuff. So you just survive it. And if that means leave, that means leave. And if it means run on and finish, then it means run on and finish. But the answer is always you go home and sort it out. The answer is never, here's the magic thing you can do in the ring to fix it. So I hope this was interesting for you guys. We are going to talk to Carrie next time. And I think you're really going to enjoy that. Um, like always, check out the CogDog Radio Facebook page and have a conversation about this episode. And if you have questions uh, specifically about the Synergy uh, case study series, you can send them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to CogDog Radio. If you've got questions or suggestions, you can shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.